meaningful, deep, and truth. If I can achieve that today, that would be a wonderful thing that God has permitted. And I can't think of a better way to pray for the pastor as he comes to bring the word. And so, thank you very, very much, John. Thank you for praise team. We give our praise teams the freedom to choose their own music, and they always do such a great job. And so, thank you for your ministry. Uh, Dr. Henry Savage was the first pastor in Michigan to have a Christian radio broadcast across our state. He was a very well-known pastor out of Pontiac, Michigan. And one day he was addressing a group of young men who were planning to be pastors. There was a question and answer time. And one of the young men raised his hand and he said, "Uh, Dr. Savage, uh, could you tell us When did you get over the problem of lust? And Dr. Savage said to him, How in the world should I know I'm only 70 years old? Now, Savage was using humor to make a serious point. No matter our age, lust is always a deadly danger that we must guard against. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Let me tell you a sad story. A pastor in our fellowship of churches in Lower Michigan retired after pastoring the same church for 25 years. Shortly after retiring... He divorced his wife of many years and married a woman 25 to 30 years his junior. We were shocked. How in the world could he do this after 25 years in the same church? Our executive pastor decided to find out. He drove across the state of Michigan, met with the man, And then came back. Of course, we wanted to know. What happened? What did you learn? Our executive pastor said he lusted after a younger woman. That's it? No more complicated than that? That was the answer. An old, retired pastor succumbed to lust and he brought terrible devastation upon others. He undid everything he ever taught for 25 years in that church. He forced his wife in her senior years to live alone and hurt. He caused his children to bear the shame of having a stepmother who was the exact age that they were. And he caused his grandchildren to lose the joy of being able to go and visit grandma and grandpa and find them still together. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ spoke very clearly and very plainly on the trap of lust.
This morning, we are continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to know that I would never just simply decide to choose a sermon like this for a particular Sunday. But we are following in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. And as we come to Matthew 5, 27 to 30, he has something to say about the trap of lust. And oh, how we must hear what our Savior says to us today. Now, Jesus is going to do two things. First of all, he is going to teach us plain truth about adultery. And then the second thing he is going to do is he is going to give us plain solutions for adultery. Isn't the Word of God so wonderful? The Word of God not only tells us what is wrong and what needs to be corrected, but it tells us what we can do to correct it. And how wonderful is Jesus Christ, the teacher this morning, as he talks to us about the trap of lust. Let's take our Bibles, shall we, and let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to begin by looking at plain truth about adultery according to Jesus. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And let's notice what our Savior says for us in verses 27 and 28 as we pick up his applying of God's law to us in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to his words. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now let's understand a few things here about what Jesus teaches us about adultery. First of all, he is making it very clear that adultery is not just the physical act. In verse 27, we have the teaching of the rabbis on the seventh command, you shall not commit adultery. And what the rabbis taught is that adultery was strictly a physical act with a married woman. What they did was they interpreted the seventh command, you shall not commit adultery, by the eighth command, you shall not steal. And they said that adultery was stealing another man's wife, therefore it was a crime of theft. And they actually taught that as long as the other woman was not married, it was not adultery. By the way, isn't that convenient? Isn't that? They narrowed the definition of adultery so they could broaden the definition of what was okay. If a woman was single or maybe it was an unmarried servant girl living in the home, sexual adventures were fine. Uh, By the way, this only applied to men. Women were expected to be totally faithful in every way. Men could have sexual relations outside of marriage to unmarried women as long as they did not steal another man's property It was considered okay. Now we know why the scribes and Pharisees 
only brought to Jesus the woman who was caught in adultery and not the man? Very likely the woman was single and therefore in their view they thought the man had not done anything wrong at all. By the way, don't you want to just grab people who think and teach like this and just shake them? Don't you? No wonder Jesus gets to Matthew 23 and he says about these scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you! that you could so misrepresent the Word of God and what it teaches. And so Jesus gives to us the true meaning of the seventh command. Secondly, we learn from Jesus that adultery is also evil, lustful intentions in the heart. Look again at verse 28, But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, once again, we see the brilliance of Jesus in interpreting the Old Testament. He is telling us that the seventh commandment against adultery is not to be interpreted by the eighth command, but it is to be interpreted by the tenth command. In fact, look again at the tenth commandment in Deuteronomy 5. 21, and notice the very first line of the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Now that Jesus interprets the Seventh Commandment in light of the Tenth Commandment is absolutely revolutionary, but it is clearly the original intent of the Old Testament. What God was saying to us is adultery is not a crime of theft, though theft is involved, but it is primarily a crime of inner lust of coveting. And adultery first occurs in the heart as an evil craving to satisfy our lusts. Now we need to be very, very careful here as to what Jesus is not saying as well as what he is saying. And so let me be as clear as I think I can be. It is very possible to translate this phrase in verse 28. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully in this way, anyone who looks at a woman to get her to lust, The grammar is such that the word woman can be the object of the verb or it can also be the subject of the verb. So it could very well read, anyone who looks at a woman to get her to lust. Now clearly, whichever way you take it, it is very, very clear that the point is sinful intention. One Bible student has said about the man that Jesus is describing, there is nothing innocent about the man he is describing in these verses. This is so important. This is not the man who sees a woman and thinks she is beautiful. This is not the man who has normal sexual thoughts that goes through his mind that he struggles to control. 
that is not the man that Jesus is describing. In fact, the word look, I tell you, anyone who looks, it is a present tense. It means continues looking. It has the idea of staring. It means gazing. It carries the concept of cultivating wrong thoughts purposely in the mind. And lustfully here is a very interesting word. It means to fix the desire upon. It is an intensified form of the word passion, and it carries the idea of to long for strong yearning for an illicit sexual relationship. That is the man that Jesus is describing. When I was 20 years old, I had a summer job at Muskegon Piston Ring. And there were a number of girls my age who also had jobs that summer at Piston Ring. And I saw firsthand in that shop what Jesus was describing. I remember one married man who gazed and stared at a woman, young girl, while her back was turned and she could not see him, and as she walked along, he stared at her, gazing lustfully. I was just taken back that a married man would do that at such a young girl. When we would be in the lunchroom together, and, and I would be sitting there with the uh, employees, the men, when the girls would come in to the lunch counter, Some of them would laugh to each other as they whispered suggestive statements about the girls that were coming in. Two men would whisper to one another the things that they would do if they had the chance. And what I saw in that shop was literally married men with dirty minds. In fact, they were exactly what Peter describes in 2 Peter 2.14, men who have eyes full of adultery. That's what Jesus is describing. I wonder this morning, can I take this a little step further? This applies to the viewing of pornography. Most men are surprised when they learn that viewing pornography is adultery. And I ask myself, why is it that we are surprised when we hear viewing pornography is adultery? And here's the reason why we're surprised. We are like the scribes and the Pharisees. We want to narrow the definition of adultery so that we can broaden the definition of what is okay. And what goes through our minds is this, pornography is okay because it is not the physical act of adultery. But I want you to notice what Jesus is saying to us here. Jesus is saying we are dead wrong, dead wrong. In fact, listen to the words of the Lutheran scholar Richard Lenski. He says, the man who casts lustful looks is an adulterer to begin with. And that is exactly right. And every time we deliberately view pornography as a married man, 
we are breaking our marriage vows every single time. And if we are a single man who is not married, every time we view pornography, we are violating the woman that we are looking at. Now we cannot, we cannot get rid of evil if we are going to pussyfoot around with what we call it. We have to call it what it is. And Jesus speaks plainly, he speaks clearly, he holds nothing back. There is no nuanced words here of subtlety. He comes right out and says it. Adultery is also evil, lustful intentions in the heart. Let's look at a third thing he tells us. Third truth. Adultery applies equally to men as well as women. Why does Jesus say in verse 28, anyone who looks at a woman, not anyone who looks at a wife, he was destroying the double standard. He was taking away the loophole that the rabbis had constructed. He was saying to the men of his day and to all generations, it doesn't matter whether it's a married woman, it doesn't matter whether it's a single woman, it is adultery. And what Jesus does is he elevates women and releases them from the double standard. By the way, don't you love how Jesus was always protecting and always caring for women, protecting them from hypocrisy and abuse? Don't you love Jesus for that? Of course you do. Of course we do. And so know us what Jesus is, is helping us see. Adultery is not just a physical act. It starts in the heart. And it is deliberate, lustful intentions towards someone you are not married to. And he makes it very, very clear. This includes men as well as women. Now, I love how Jesus not only corrects us, but he also tells us how we can deal with this in our life. And so I want to move from plain truth about adultery to plain solutions for adultery. How powerful is Jesus? Look what he says in verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, obviously, we know that Jesus is talking figuratively. Uh, There was a man in the early centuries of the Christian church who took this literally, 
and made himself into a eunuch. And that is obviously not what Jesus is saying. So what is Jesus saying? Well, what he's calling us to is a number of very clear actions, and we have to get them this morning. First of all, he is saying to us, get serious about lust and what it leads to, because sexual sin deserves eternal damnation. Now, this is the second time in his teaching that Jesus mentions hell. Only here it is more graphic than what he said when he talked about anger. If we ask the question, how serious is indulging in sexual sin, Jesus says it is so serious that our whole body is deserving of being thrown into hell. That's how serious it is. Now, let me remind you that whether someone goes to hell or not is dependent upon whether Jesus is their Savior or not. And all God's people said. But Jesus is making it very clear here. Non-believers who indulge in sexual sin go to hell. Well, what about believers? For believers who indulge in sexual sin, judgment may simply be the devastating consequences that we bring on ourselves. Sometimes God's judgment is not direct. It is just allowing our sins to take themselves to the logical end where we end up devastating ourselves through the consequences of our own wrongdoing. I remember very vividly the day that a Christian man said to me, there's nothing wrong with pornography. I could hardly believe I was hearing what he said. Essentially, he said, pornography is harmless. You know when he changed his tune? He changed his tune when his adult son rung up huge phone bills on his father's phone because of his addiction to phone pornography. And that son became so increasingly addicted to his lusts that he committed shameful public acts. And that father learned firsthand pornography is not harmless, it is deadly, it is dangerous, and it is destructive. And Jesus is saying to us today, we must get serious because sexual sin is deserving of eternal damnation. And he wants us to understand that. Second action we must take. We must get wise. I, adultery, stimulates heart. Adultery. Look what Jesus says in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin. What Jesus is saying to us is very, very important. He is telling us that this is the way it works. I adultery is what feeds and stimulates and leads to heart adultery. 
Now, did you know the righteous man of the Old Testament in the oldest story in the Bible, Job, clearly understood this? Look at what Job knew from Job 31. And I want to put it on the screen for you. If you've never seen this parallel with the book of Job, it is absolutely critical that we see it. Look what Job said, Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze? Lust with evil intent at a virgin. So critical was this to the righteous man, Job, that he made a covenant with his eyes that he would not allow his eyes to lead him into lust. And then notice what he says in verse 7. He describes what he did not want to happen. He says, if my step has turned from the way or my heart followed my eyes or if any spot has stuck to my hand. Look at that second phrase. Or my heart followed my eyes. That is exactly what Jesus is saying is what creates adultery in the heart. It starts with eye adultery, and then it leads to heart adultery. Job understood this, and so he is teaching for us the same thing that Jesus is teaching. Now, we have to learn something very important here. All sin, especially sexual sin, begins with the imagination. In fact, listen to what Bible teacher D.A. Carson has to say. Imagination is a God-given gift. But if it is fed dirt by the eye, it will be dirty. Therefore, what feeds the imagination is of maximum importance. This is why pornography is so addictive. In fact, for some people, it is more addictive than drugs or alcohol. And here's what happens. We feed dirt into our imagination. And the more dirt we feed into our imagination, the dirtier our imagination becomes, craving more dirt. And it becomes a vicious cycle feeding upon itself, stirring up ever-increasing lust. And any pastor who has been in the ministry for even a brief period of time has had many conversations with people trapped in this very downward spiral. Let me take this a a little further this morning. Let me apply this to the way that we dress. Seductive dress can stir eye adultery. I want you to hear me very clearly. It is perfectly okay for a woman to dress attractively and stylishly. All God's people said. God has made a woman to want to set herself forth in her most attractive way. But it is wrong to dress seductively. It is wrong to dress seductively. In many high schools, the dress is so seductive 
that boys will say when they're walking down the hallway, they have to stare at the ceiling because they don't know where to look. I have attended high school events and I have wondered to myself, how did the parents even allow their daughter to get out of their house dressed like There is lots of pressure today on young girls to dress seductively and parents really need to help. If it's too low, too short, too tight, too revealing, it's too seductive. And parents need to fight that I had a man, Christian man, come to me one day. He said, you wouldn't believe the fight I got for my daughter when I told her she wasn't going out of the house dressed like that. You would not believe the fight that I got. He said, am I going to be a man without a chest who does not fight and uphold the standards that I believe in? And I said to him, Thank you for being a man in your home who has a chest and is willing to fight the right kind of a battle. It is wrong to attract the wrong kind of attention with immodest clothing. There is just no other way to say it. Let me also say this this morning. Husbands and wives need to help each other in this area as well. Do you know Ellen and I review each other's clothing? We do. She reviews my clothing. You know why I never wear ties that don't match my shirt? Because Ellen says to me, get back in here, you're not going out of the house looking like that. Now, I know you know that's not quite the way it's said. But I always ask her, what do you think about the way I'm dressed? I get her opinion. And if she says that tie doesn't match, I change the tie. Do you know she does the same with me? She will come to me, particularly if she's bought something new, and she will say, what do you think? And I want to tell you today, I appreciate the fact that Ellen wants to dress appropriately, and I appreciate the fact that she values my opinion as her husband who wants her to dress in an attractive but godly way. And as husbands and wives, we need to help each other. Now here's the final solution. Number three, get drastic. Rid yourself decisively of any enticement to lust. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off 
and throw it away. He is saying, take decisive actions to rid any enticement to lust. Do you know why the mousetrap is a great illustration for today's sermon? This expression, causes you to sin, comes from the Greek word scandalon. We get our word scandal from it. It was used of bait in the trap. So when Jesus says, get rid of anything that causes you to sin, what he means is, get rid of anything that baits the trap, that leads you into sexual lust and sexual sin. It is the cheese that lures the mouse to its death, and if the mouse knew what taking the cheese was going to lead to, the mouse would avoid the cheese at all costs. You know why the mouse can't avoid the cheese? He's not as smart as we are. Right? What Jesus is saying is this, take drastic measures. With sexual sin, decisiveness is everything. Dilly-dallying is the deadly error in sexual sin. What he's saying is, whatever or whoever entices you into the trap must be turned from decisively. Let me again get very specific. Wives, if your husband has a pornography problem, you tell him to get help. If he refuses, you come and you tell your pastors, and we will graciously but firmly tell him to get help. If you do not do that, that trap will spring. And you will be hurt and your children will be hurt. I guarantee it. Let me speak very clearly to the men today. If you are engaged in a pornography problem, hiding it from your wife and your family, you come clean today. You get home today, and you get your wife aside, and you come clean at this very moment. You confess it. You repent of it. You tell her, I will do whatever is necessary to get this under control. I will go to the pastors and talk to them. If I cannot deal with this, you Come clean. Because if you do not, that trap is going to spring. And you're going to hurt yourself, your wife, and your family. You cannot afford to dilly-dally anymore. One day, the raunchiest adult joke that I think I have ever heard was told on television. There were young ears sitting in front of that television listening to that raunchy joke, though those young ears could not fully understand the joke. That was the day 
that we cancel cable TV in our home. We canceled it. We were done with it. And we have never regretted it. And if that is the step that you need to take in your home, not everybody needs to take that step, but if you need to take that step, you take it. If you need somebody to monitor your uh, computer so that they know every website that you go to, every email that you send out, you get that person to monitor. You set up a guard. It is that serious. I love these words from the late Bible teacher William Hendrickson. Listen to what he has to say. Right at this very moment, And without any vacillation, the obscene book should be burned, the scandalous picture destroyed, the soul-destroying film condemned, the sinister yet very intimate social tie broken, and the baneful habit discarded. In the struggle against sin, the believer must fight hard. Shadow boxing will not That's what Jesus is saying. We cannot afford to shadow box with the deadly evil of sexual lust. We must fight and we must fight hard. For when we do, Jesus knows we take what he says seriously. As a believer in Christ, his Holy Spirit will come down into us to strengthen us. His body will come around us to support us and we can walk forward in purity, and in true love. And so this morning, let's say to the Lord Jesus, I will follow your solutions. Let me say today, anybody who is involved in sexual bondage or sin of any kind, we at this church love you, and we want to help you. What I've just preached over this pulpit, you will not hear anywhere else in our world. You will not see it in the newspaper. You will not see it uh, over the radio, on television. You won't be told this at school. The only place that we can get the truth on this is to come here and to listen to Jesus. And you have heard his truth today. And we tell you his truth because we love you. And we want to liberate you from the destructiveness of this evil sin. And so, if you need help, we are here. And we want to walk beside you. Let's bow our hearts together, shall we? Let's do business with God. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, has God spoken to you today? I know in a church with two services that God will be speaking to many hearts today. And I know decisions need to be made. Some of us today need to make a decision to be saved. To come to Jesus and trust Him as our Lord and Savior. 
Jesus knows the reality of hell because he created it for Satan and his angels. And he knows it's real. And some of us today need to come to the Savior and trust him as Lord and Savior. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Maybe you're caught in sin in this area or caught in some other area. But you know you need Jesus. From your heart right now, say to him, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Just like all the rest of the people in this room today. But I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way and I'm turning to you. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give me eternal life. Make me a child of God. Lord Jesus, because God now lives within me, I will follow you with all my heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. And then are some of us today dilly-dallying? Are we narrowing the definition of adultery so we can broaden the definition of what's okay? Are we permitting adultery in our hearts, thinking it's not the physical act? Are we breaking our marriage vows, though no one else knows? We must decide today, this very moment, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm getting the help that I know God wants to give me. I'm repenting. I will confess. I will hide. No longer. Oh God, today, purify our hearts. Help us to long for the purity that Jesus saved us to have. We live in a filthy and vile generation. The language we hear, the jokes that are told, the images that are constantly flashed before us, the styles that are pushed in the stores. We live in an evil and an adulterous generation. And we are called to fight and to fight hard. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to find strength from your word and from each other and from our church. Help us to have the right kinds of standards and the right kinds of contrition and repentance.
when we fail those standards. Help men, Father, in their homes to be men who have chests. Help their wives to want to support them and encourage them. And help the parents to work together, not only for their own sake, but for the sake of their children. And so today, Lord, praying for those who perhaps today have fallen, asking that you would restore them and help them to go forward this day cleansed, renewed, purified once again. Thank you and praise you, Lord, today for your blessed sake.